Welcome to the Surratt Brothers Podcast, a conversation about church, sports, current events, well, mostly church. Today, we dive into the outcome of the Kelsey Swift romance, Jeff's terrible faux pas on stage, and a conversation with our friend Steve Cuss on what's up with pastors and moral failure. And now, join me and my brother Chris for today's podcast. Hey, thanks for joining us today. I am uh, Jeff Surratt, as you probably figured out from the Surratt brothers name. I'm here with my brother, Chris. How are you today, Chris? Hey, I'm doing good. Good deal. Oh, wow. So this is our third episode. Our first episode, Chris, you uh, sounded like you were using a tomato soup can for a microphone, and then you kind of moved up to a 1995 pair of uh, wired headphones. You're sounding like you actually have a microphone today. I, I do. Now, I will say that I am on the island of Maui. I like to mention that as much as possible. So happy and, for uh, you. Yeah. So, yeah. And we, we, we just discovered electricity uh, mm-hmm. just a couple months ago here yeah. and uh, moved quickly into microphones. So I was able to, uh, to, to grab one and hopefully it sounds much better. It does. It does. So as you have mentioned, I think 30, 38 times now. Since we started yep. recording the podcast, you are currently living on Maui. Uh, what's happening in paradise today? Well, it's a it's a beautiful day as always. It's probably about 80, uh, yeah, 80 degrees, 78 degrees, something like that, and sunny. And um, yeah, it, it's it's pretty good. How about you? We're, we're, you're in Denver, correct? Yeah, I'm in Denver. We're having a beautiful few days. It's in the 60s today. Sun, sun is out. Uh, um, I think of the 12 inches of snow in my front yard, two inches have melted. So that's an exciting thing. That, that is exciting. That's yeah. good. So you yeah. can actually uh, park a car and walk up your sidewalk and do things like that. No, we actually have things called garages here. Um, so my car oh. lives in the garage okay. and I, I have uh, a snowblower, so I don't do a lot of uh, shoveling. So what, what you going to do this weekend? You got any good plans? Um, actually, I'm going off island. I'm going to be in uh, California at Harvest OC in Riverside for the next week. And Jenny is going to go home to Nashville and make sure our chickens are still alive. It's been super cold in Nashville uh, the last few weeks. So to keep chickens and livestock alive is, is a trick. And our daughter, uh, Brianna, has been doing her best. But yeah, so Jenny's going to go back and be home for a week. I'll be in California and and we'll uh, bring us coming the next week to Maui. So oh, we're excited awesome. about that. Yeah. You have to know it never stops being funny that you're raising chickens. Like it just, it, there, <laughs> there's no, there's, there's no picture where that's not funny to me. Well, we started with four chickens and we have two, mm-hmm. so we're not very good at it. We yeah. we're not good at keeping them alive. Gotcha. Yeah. I made a joke early on that didn't go over too well with you that chickens are the our great, our great pet. It's the one of the few pets you can actually eat, and you just didn't feel that was funny. But I still find it very humorous. No, when you name a chicken, you're not going to eat it. I that's that's the thing. I if I had cows and I named cows, I'd probably still eat them yeah. because it's worth it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you don't do that. Now here here's an interesting thing over here. Okay. Um, it, it's kind of sad and crazy, but um, you know they had a major fire here six months ago. to this almost to the day and uh, took out a whole town um, and uh, most of the people that I work with were affected lost homes all that good stuff and I was talking to one of my one of my coworkers here who lost their home 
and they found out that they are not able to uh, move forward with getting things cleaned up and rebuilt because of one neighbor who uh, says that she has to get back in. Now, everything is flat. Everything is ash. It's Mm -hmm. just, it all burned down. But she has to find this urn of her cat that was in So so help, help me with this. The cat died before the fire. Correct. It had already been. And was cremated cremated. and was in an urn. And the neighborhood neighborhood can't start rebuilding until she finds her cat's ashes in this urn. Which will be, I guess, double double cremated. Would that be? um, Okay. I'm, I'm not a cat guy, but I'm not going there. That was Chris Surratt. (laughs) <laughs> and you can contact him. I'll, I'll give your email address later. That's good. I'm just using the technical, but this, this lady's holding up the entire neighborhood because right. she has to find right. her cat you in know, her urn that has been melted. And we all have precious things in this life. I'm, I don't yes. have. Mine's not cat ashes, but, you know, to each their own. So we've talked about in every episode so far, which, by the way, as I said last time, for episode one, kind of weak, kind of weak. Um, episode two, I, th- I felt like we got you know, we got a little bit of traction there. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking today, maybe we start to hit our stride. Like I think we might have, today might be one where you go, okay, yeah, you ought to listen to that. What do you think? So we might actually tell people that this podcast exists after I'm not, this I'm, episode. I'm not saying that. Um, okay. So we've talked Super Bowl or we've talked playoffs every time. Now the Super Bowl teams are set. We've got the uh, San Francisco 49ers against the Kansas City Chiefs. What do you got? Who is it? I would like to say 49ers, especially since I live part time in California and half of half of our island roots for the 49ers. But I'm going to go with Chiefs. And here's why, because I think what's going to happen is they're going to win and they're going to all be celebrating on the field. Taylor Swift's going to come down. Travis Kelsey's going to drop to a knee and uh, and propose on the field. That's, and I'd like to see that. That's so romantic. What does that have to do with who's going to win the Super Bowl? Like, does he not propose if they lose? And so they, he tries harder to catch the, the ball. How does that impact the winner? Well, well he's not going to propose if they lose because then he's a loser. Yeah. And Taylor Swift doesn't want to marry a loser, obviously. So, yeah, they've got to win for that to happen. I think they're going to win. Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes and, uh, and it's fate. It's fate to happen. What yeah. about you? Oh, well, well, we'll get there. I mean, I'll give you the correct answer in a minute. But so you brought up Kelsey and T Swift. I uh, did a little math. It's it's a hunt as we're recording today. It's the hunt 130 days since they went official, and I count them wow. as going official when she showed up at the Chiefs game for the first time. Like I, right. I don't know what they did before that. 130 days since then, right? So mm-hmm. you said that. Travis will propose on the field if they win the Super Bowl. Here's my question, though. Does their relationship end in a Kelsey T. Swift wedding, or does it end in a brand new Taylor Swift breakup album? It depends on uh, whether you want her career to. No, the, the best career move would be the breakup album because that that's what she does. I mean, she she has many albums, many former former Starbucks lovers. That's a little yeah. inside T-Swift thing there. But yeah. Um, yeah, so I think that'd be best for her career. But for society as a whole, I think the wedding 
the wedding's better. It'll lift all of our spirits. Okay. First of all, it won't lift my spirits because I don't care, but I brought it up. Here's a question. Taylor Swift. I remember when she was a, what, 14, 15, 16-year-old country star. And then I met she, her when she was uh, 20, 21. That's you dropping another name. Thank you very much. We're yep. keeping count. Yep. I think we're up to 17 names you've dropped. Okay. Yep. She was country star, but then she decided to cross over, be a pop star. And of course, she went from being really big to the biggest star on the planet. No doubt about that. Think about this. A yes. wedding, a wedding album could be a new break for her and like it could be wedding one and then if she ever married again wedding two i mean you mm -hmm. and i have rel relatives that have had multiple weddings and so i don't know something to think about it doesn't matter the 49ers are going to win the super bowl t swift is going to kick kick travis to the curb because she don't hang out with losers, losers. Break, up, yes. break up album the world goes back to paying no attention whatsoever that's my prediction you're predicting a proposal at the end of the game after the chiefs win i'm proposing or i'm predicting 49ers loss which is the the beginning of the end of the kelsey t swift debacle i do like the idea of mr Ir irrelevant uh, brock purdy yeah. and if you're not a football fan that's the last guy uh, chosen in a draft they call him mr irrelevant because mm -hmm. Every year they're they're nobody, but he is now gonna possibly win a Super Bowl. That's that's a cool story. I will I, say that. I love the Brock Purdy story. In fact, you probably I don't know if you know this stat. This is my favorite stat. There's all kinds of stats about him. That um this past year, Arch Manning, Peyton and Eli Manning's nephew, was the backup quarterback for the Texas Longhorns college team. He earned Arch Manning earned three million dollars off of his likeness this past year brock purdy the starting quarterback for the super bowl bound soon to be winning san francisco 49ers earned nine hundred and forty thousand dollars this year so the backup quarterback for the texas longhorns earned three times what this starting super bowl quarterback for the 49ers <laughs> that just shows me sports are stupid and i love them but yeah they're, they're stupid. i saw a joke on, on on online that said brock purdy is excited about meeting or seeing taylor swift at the stadium because he couldn't afford the tickets to her tour oh, that's good oh that's so good that's the best line ever. <laughs> there we go there we go i said this yeah. episode would get better it just did let's just try not to kill it so we're talking yeah. romance between kelsey and and Taylor Swift, um, you know, as we record this, Valentine's Day is coming up. I was wondering if, you know, you and Jenny, uh, your wife, if you have any, you have any Valentine's Day plans yet? Um, not us, but I did mention that our daughter's coming over. She's going to be over that week and we are all going well watching. Well watching. Which I know, you know, you know what that's like. You've been on, on Maui. I think, have you been here when whales were going? No. No. Oh, then you should experience that. Basically, between December and April, whales, humpback whales, uh, migrate from Alaska over to Maui, particularly specifically west side of Maui, to uh, to mate, and then they swim back and uh, basically they're pregnant for a year, come back, have their babies. So that happens every year, and there are thousands of humpback whales 
in the water just you know, off off the uh, off the island. So we are going to take a boat out and uh, we're going to go watch some whales. It's wow. amazing. Wow. That's well, romantic, I, right? I saw like three humpback whales one time from a long ways away when I was in Mexico, but nothing like I, I tell you what, whale watching in Maui with your wife in and Maui. Your, with your wife and that'd be hard to hard to top with your wife and daughter on Valentine's Day. It would be. Yeah. What you got? What are you doing? Yeah, I'm just taking Sherry to Paris. <laughs> <laughs> Winner! Winner chicken no, dinner. No, we will no. be eating a romantic dinner uh on the uh River Seine, uh eating a French uh five course meal. Uh, but you'll be watching whales. That sounds awesome. It does. Which is amazing. Are you going to put a lock on the, what's that fence where everybody puts fence? Their... Yeah, that's right. It's on a fence. It's a fence. Whatever it is. There's yeah. like millions of locks that they can't do anything. Yeah, with. I'm, Are you guys going to do that? I believe it's pronounced Pont Nou. It's a bridge. It's not a fence. And yeah, may, maybe we will and we'll draw a picture of a whale on the lock. No, I, <laughs> hey, actually, I did that whole thing just to try to top you, but whale watching is amazing. Like that's it's a, pretty stinking cool. Yeah, I, I again, I saw it one time and these were way off and I it was on. This is gonna sound weird. It was at sunset. We didn't think there'd be any whales because it was too late in the season. And the boat was starting to turn around when somebody spotted these whales. And it was almost it was almost a spiritual experience, honestly, seeing the seeing the sun go down and seeing these whales playing in the they're purposely you could tell playing in the sunlight is amazing. It's not it's, yep. it's not dinner in Paris, but it's pretty pretty darn good. Well, I'm already I'm already in Hawaii on Maui. Yeah. I mean, yeah. What's the next step? I guess it would be Paris. It would be Paris, yeah. Um yeah. So we said when we created this podcast that we would talk about church stuff and so far we've hit Valentine's plans, uh mm -hmm. uh Kelsey T Swift and your hate for some poor lady's cat's ashes. Uh, we ought to talk church a little bit. I want to talk about uh, church mistakes, things that go bad in church. What's the worst mistake that you'd be willing to tell us that either you've made or you've you've seen made on a platform at a church in front of a church crowd? Yeah, I no, I thought through this when I saw you were going to put it in the uh, in the show. And I could definitely go worse that I've seen, but I kept it personal. Okay. And my, mine aren't quite as good as probably yours or, or Greg's or anybody that speaks on a, you know, an ongoing basis. Because he can't stand on a stage for that long and not say something. I mean, just look at you know presidents when they when they talk all the time, they all say something dumb. But uh, lately, I have uh, mispronounced many Hawaiian names, uh, especially business names and street names, because I don't know if you knew this, but um, the Hawaiian language, I think it's what, 13 letters in it, 16 letters. Oh, I didn't know that. Pretty much. Yeah. And almost all of them are vowels. And so when you see a street name over here, it will have literally O-O-O-P-I-I-K-U-U-U. I mean, that's not even much of an exaggeration. So I've stood on stage and talked about we have this event or whatever at this and just mangled it mangled it and people are like yeah you shouldn't be here you have no clue what you're doing i bet that goes over really well especially with the native hawaiians that attend the attend the church 
yeah, no. And the, but the other one I, I thought about is I was speaking one time and I finished with the message. And you've you've had these moments. I I was on stage thinking this was the worst message ever. If I was sitting in the audience, I would go home right now. And it was just one of those. And it looked good on paper. It didn't come out. And so I, I'm at the end and I'm in the back. And and this guy comes up to me and says, "Hey, thanks thanks for that. I didn't get it. What what was that about?" And I I literally said, "I don't know. I really don't know." And that was the end of the conversation. That's, and that's so good. That was my worst moment. Oh, that is so good. That is such a great feeling. Yeah, I've had I've had a few. I had one not too long ago. So I worked for a church here in Colorado, one of the one of the pastors, and we had a um, kind of a banquet. We called it a gala for our volunteers, our serve team, and it was very formal. It was you know coat and tie, sit down dinner, um, live music, like a very formal uh, kind of gala thing. And my job, my only job was to welcome people and to pray over the meal. That was my only job. But I thought, hey, here's my chance to do a little stand-up comedy. So I did a little stand-up comedy routine that I wrote. And part of it was about a church I used to pastor. And I said, hey, when I pastored, we didn't have galas. We had potlucks. How many of you had potlucks? And a few people raised their hands. And I said, yeah, you had to know which food to eat and not eat. Uh, we had a lady who would bring this uh, this kind of strange-looking meat. And it was kind of a gray. And what I should have said is that it was a consistency of concrete. But what I said was that it was the consistency of cement, which is not what I actually said because I didn't pronounce the T. So I know this is a family podcast, but I said in front of the whole, all the whole board, all the leaders, the staff, this meat was the consistency of semen. Yes, I did. And then I went on to describe the gravy. And <laughs> I actually heard a lady, I actually heard a lady gasp as I was talking. But what made it awesome is that I did not hear myself say that. Came off right. the stage. Later on, one of the staff members said, Can I ask you a question? Did did you say? I said, No. And he said, But you did. <laughs> So that is funny. The lesson I took from that when pronouncing the word cement, the T is never silent. So, yeah, yeah. So now I now I, I, you have another one. I, you're not going to say it, but you have another one that I was a part of. Actually, I was there for that. Uh, I think is even better. But uh, you didn't know about that one till later either. Yeah, I think that was our other brothers. Unless you're referring to one no, no, I don't I, remember. You you were speaking at Seacoast, okay, and it was uh, recently. Recently, uh, oh, we're not going to talk about that. We're going to yeah. I didn't think you along. would, but <laughs> the point that I'm making is you seem to not realize that is true. That is true until later the yeah. things that you say. Yeah, here's what I am going to say uh, for those of you listening. You heard what I just admitted to, and just imagine what it is I'm not going to admit to, and you're not quite as bad <laughs> as it was. Um, yeah. So let's move, let's move yeah. on. So let's I have, I have been caught doing stupid things, saying stupid things. You have been caught not knowing what it was you were talking about. Um, mm -hmm. But to go a little bit serious, I was talking to a, or very serious, I was talking to a, a staff member at a church somewhere in America. And 
it was a friend of a friend of a friend and they said, Hey, I want to talk to you about something. So I said, sure. And they described a situation where the lead pastor at the church where they're on staff um, had, had the, the board and the pastor had said, Hey, the pastor's tired. He's kind of burned out. He's going to take a little time off. And so he took some time off and, and then they just came back recently and said, well, actually he was involved in a inappropriate relationship with someone he's not married to. That was kind of their language. And, and so the staff member was kind of reeling from this and trying to figure out, well, how do I respond? What do, what do I say in this? And, you know, Chris, you and I both have been in the situation he's in. Neither one of us have ever been in inappropriate relationships. We're not, that's not our, we have our own challenges as we, as we both know, but that's not it. Um, but we have also both been in that type of situation. Like what, any insight, like what you would say to, to the staff member of, of, as he's trying to figure this out? Hardest place to be for that is a staff member um, that is uh, down the line from, from that, that person, because uh, you know, you're trying to figure out uh, one who needs to know everything. Um, you're probably getting asked if it's, you know, getting out and getting around. People want to know the whole the whole story. And, uh, you know, if you're on staff, you probably can't. You can't tell everybody, uh, nor probably should you tell everybody. But then how much is appropriate to get out there? And, you know, I've seen I've seen both things. And I'd be curious from you. I've seen uh, churches that were completely transparent or you know, as transparent as they could be. And then I've seen churches that um, only let out what they have to let out, right? And there's a lot of happening in the back. And I think that scenario is the hardest for that staff member um, because, you know, they're just going to have to live with this and and know what's going on without without the congregation and how, you know, other people knowing. So I would be curious what your thoughts on that are. Yeah, it's incredibly tough. I've been on staff uh, when there's a pastor was in a relationship that just it wasn't it wasn't with his wife and it wasn't appropriate. And again, it's just like you're saying, how many details do you share? I mean, do you stand up on the stage on Sunday and say, hey, we've got some pictures we want to show you like that's way over the line. Or do you stand up and say, hey, pastor's a little tired. He's going to take a vacation to Maui or Mexico or whatever. Well, that's way the other way. You know what I, you know, what we ought to do, um, you know, you know, my friend, Steve Cuss. Mm-hmm. Let's see if Steve will kind of weigh in on this. I think I've talked to Steve about some of this stuff before. He has a lot of insight. So let's check in with Steve. Hey, Steve, Chris and I were just uh, chatting a little bit about uh, some of the things that go on in church, especially where it comes to, to like moral failure with a, with a leader. And when the topic of moral failure came up, I said, we should start talk to Steve Cuss because no one knows more. Wait, that's not fair. That's not fair at all. Hey, man, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Steve's, Steve and I have been friends for, gosh, did you know it's been a decade now that we have, uh, we have uh, been with each other and uh, same rooms and been friends and all of that. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, we've had a lot of miles under our belt at this point. It's been amazing. Right. And it's been uh, cool, Steve, to just as I've connected with you through the years, um, one as a friend, but two, learning from you 
um, your first book, Managing Leadership Anxiety, has been super influential for me, but it's kind of become a, uh, the word Bible is thrown around too loosely, but it has kind of become a, a Bible for um, leaders uh, understanding their own anxiety, the anxiety in the room, those around around them. But we, you and I have had conversations that have gone well beyond that. So, so I want to ask you a couple of questions around this idea of a moral failure in the church. And just to recap a little bit, we kind of got the conversation going because I, I talked to a staff member at a church somewhere in America that that um, recently found out their their pastor had a moral failure, and they they were trying to sort through that. And so I know from many, many years of being in ministry and all kinds of different roles, you've encountered this with with um, leaders that you know, leaders that you don't know. You've had, I, I would imagine, conversations with staff members who've processed this. So so let me ask you first, Steve, what, what in your experience leads to a pastor having some kind of a moral failure? Yeah. Yeah. I think I think there's two ways I want to take this. First of all, yeah, what I mean to directly answer the question, Jeff, what leads to it? I do think that all of us actually get into ministry. I mean, partly because of the call of God, but also partly because of some dysfunction that maybe we were unaware of when we were called into it. I, I remember in my twenties thinking, oh no. I wasn't called by God. I'm acting out of dysfunctional need. And then in my 30s, realizing, oh, how amazing is God that he is redeeming dysfunction through this call, you know? So I, I do think that's it. And then um, what happens is I think if you do have these false needs that aren't being met inside and, and you don't know how to mature, you are then looking for those false needs to be met um, in these toxic ways. And and when we talk about moral failure, if we're talking about like the classic uh, sexual impropriety, but it's, you know, so many people who self-medicate, it's, it's, that's where I think this question gets a little muddier is what is it, what's a moral failure? But in short, I think it is unmanaged internal false needs that get us into trouble. I think of some of these more well-known people. And I think what happened is they, cultivated a secret life early and then they got to a point where they couldn't come clean and then they got found out and their only option was to deny and blame the victims and then I, I think the bigger tragedy is their board joining them in keeping their head in the sand but what gets tricky to me I'd love to get your guys's take on this is I, I'm wondering if the phrase moral failure if it's time for that to go away because I don't know how to have a moral failure when I'm a pastor in power, when every relationship I have is in fact, of like any kind of inappropriate relationship is in fact, I think a form of abuse. And I've seen this a lot with people, when I'm working with organizations, there's, they're kind of slow to realize, listen, if the pastor is having an affair with another staff member, with a congregant, that's not an affair of equals or peers. That is a affair that involves hierarchy and power. Um, so that's where I think even the phrase moral failure gets tricky. You know, my, you know, my wife's a therapist, and um, there is a strong ethical standard uh, for therapists that they can only have one relationship with someone at a time. So Lisa cannot counsel friends or family members because then she would be the therapist and the friend or the therapist and 
the family member. And I think we could go a long way in ministry to understand what therapists understand because uh, all of our relationships are muddied. Hence, we don't realize our power and our impact on others. That was kind of a long convoluted answer, but that, that's my initial take, I think. Now, there, there's a couple things that jumped out. Uh, one is, man, Steve, I couldn't agree more. I'm the one who chose the term moral failure, and I don't think it's a good term. And honestly, you know a little of this background, but but I, I, I was involved in a situation. It didn't involve me personally at all, but I uh, trying to help a church through a situation where the term was inappropriate texting, which I thought yeah. was maybe the worst phrase I've ever heard because yeah. – no one knows what that means. What I mean, is it? It's very yeah, nebulous. Exactly. But I agree, I, agree, I agree with you on that. Like I don't, and the power dynamic is so strong. So that, that's the other thing too, though, Chris, I want to get you to, your feedback on this. Steve, you said that many of us get into ministry because I uh, put words in your mouth, but a dysfunction inside of ourselves. Yeah. Chris, our family, every one of us are in ministry and vocational ministry. What do you think that says about our, our wider family? What Steve said about dysfunction. It says what we all already know yeah. that there is a lot of dysfunction in our family, but yeah, I, I was thinking about that. It, it seems like any vocation where you're in front of people, when you're basically like a musician or an actor or a preacher or whatever, there's some kind of void that we're 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 filling by getting that audience reaction or the people in our church loving back on us, and it's so easy to see how that can be twisted by Satan and used in the the, the not moral failure but whatever happens in the abuse that happens when somebody in power um, utilizes that. So that makes total sense. Um. Yeah, so Steve, you you uh, were a lead pastor for for many years, uh, incredible church here in the Denver area, um, and I'm sure you recognize some of this inside yourself. Of no. you know, being on a stage, having people tell you you're amazing. There is a there there there's an intoxicating piece of that. There's no way around that. What can you give me one or one or two practical things that you for yourself um, used to kind of work through some of, some of those kind of feelings. Yeah. I think it's really important. Uh, because I was actually, I was never terrified, but I was always really concerned that I would find myself in a situation that I didn't actually want to be in. I really enjoy my wife. That's always been true. And could it be that I really enjoy my wife and also slip into some of an appropriate relationship? So we had high guardrails at our church. Um, so yes, it's true. Like you get up on stage, if you've had some kind of a theological training and you know how to speak, then people are going to be moved by what you say. And what I find interesting, Jeff, is like, okay, so I've got people that over adore me and then I've equally got people that love to tear me down. And so it became in, intense. Obviously, in my field's anxiety. One of the things anxiety always does is exaggerate. So a classic example would be through COVID. I can't tell you how many pastors I talked to that said, um, here's what they said, no matter what I decide through COVID, 50% of the church will be mad. You've probably heard that a lot as well. 
that's anxiety speaking. That's not true. It's not actually true that half of my church will be upset. What's true is about 7% of my church will be upset, which when I'm a people pleaser feels like a tsunami of upset. So in the in the same way, I think what happens is we is our hearts can tend to want to move toward the people that adore us and want to demonize the people that want to cut us down, and then it becomes this unhealthy thing. So the best thing I did, I mean, it was kind of an accident, but my first church, whereas the lead pastor, I was a rookie, and I thought out of self-protection, let's just tell everybody what is so self-evident, which is this guy has never done this before. So when the elders hired me, they got up in front of our church and they're like, hey, he's a nice kid. He really means well. He's gonna. He's a bit rough. Like one of my references, Jeff said to the elders, he's rough around the edges, but if you give him three to five years, he might work out. Like that was the reference. Um, I'm so grateful for that because they just shared that with the congregation. Like the elders just said, here's what we're getting. And it just saved me any pressure from pretense. And And now that I can be myself, I think there's much better chance of being healthy and noticing when I'm not well. But I do think, I think pastors carry tremendous internal pressure to be an example of a Christian instead of being human sized. So I do think that's where it starts is we believe we're supposed to somehow be the preeminent Christian in the room. And that it's kind of like a politician that then leads all this temptation to deceive I, that to me sounds exhausting. That sounds like, oh, that's too hard. Let me take the easier path and just be myself. The the other thing our church did, I'm so grateful. We had a success. I mean, you were involved in this, Jeff. You helped us with our succession plan. But we had like six scenarios of succession, and we had them for years. And half of those scenarios were, what if Steve loses his crap? Uh, what's funny is I'm the one that drove this process. I said to our elders, Hey, I've been looking at all these pastors losing their minds. Let's come up with a plan if I lose my mind and I'll sign it. Like I'll sign it while I'm in my right mind. I'll sign it now so that if I ever lose my mind, you can kind of hold me against like, because how many pastors have you and I met that lose their mind, lose their way, get into a, a sinful trouble, and then they still want the microphone. They still want to control the narrative. We just put in my agreement that if I lose my mind, I don't get to speak. And I agreed on it, and I think that was a healthy thing. And, of course, we had a couple of healthy transition options as well. But that I think that was a good thing for our church. I'd recommend any pastor and, and board come up with healthy and unhealthy transition plans while they're all kind of sober about it, I guess. Yeah, I think that's a huge piece. I've walked through, you know, helping churches after the fact. When the I like the way you said it, when the pastor lost his crap. And it's just panic mode, right? It's, you know, what are we going to do? Let's, let's do it now. You know, let's, let's have those conversations while we're not in a, cri in a crisis. Um, you know, I, I said that what kind of kicked this off for me to talk about this week was a conversation I had with somebody who was on staff. Uh, they were not the one who had used the power dynamic for an inappropriate relationship, but they now we're trying to process what do I do? What do I say? How do I respond? And I know, Steve, we could do a two hour, you know, podcast just on that piece. But could you give us, you know, one or two thoughts of if I am not the one in the relationship, not the one, whatever, whatever the, the, the sin or whatever it is, but I'm still 
there? Like, what do I do? What, what, what is healthy for me? Yeah, it's such a great question. And it really depends on the situation. What if we go to the worst case scenario where the pastor is in denial by, by you as the staff member raising the issue, you are now in the crosshairs, right? Like you're, um, and if we just stay in that bad situation with the board, like this is a common scenario. I think Jeff, the board is actually full of good people that have never done this before, which means that they're, they're doing it badly. I've, I've, I've seen this a lot. It's not always a board that's intentionally covering up. They're actually just inexperienced and they don't realize even simple things like the power dynamics. So they call it an affair, for example, when it's really not an affair, it's actually a clergy abuse, that, those kinds of things. So if it's that situation, I think the two most important things that staff member has to do, maybe three things. Number one, they have to get clear on their own values and how they're going to behave. Um, I, I was in a situation where I was a staff member. It wasn't an affair. It was an abuse of power. And it really helped me to decide how am I going to treat other people and how am I going to speak about people because it's going to get bumpy. And it really helped me, Jeff, because as things got really bumpy and I was getting pushed around, it helped me to go back to my values that I had already written down. By the way, this is kind of an aside. I have a written list of values of how I'm going to handle uh, handle social media because when I'm on social media, I lose my crap. I lose my mind. Um, so just the, this idea of before you get into that, making who am I, what do I stand for and how am I going to treat everybody involved, no matter, regardless of how they treat me, that's really helpful. The second thing to be practical, I would start looking for a job just to be blunt. Can you, if, if things go really South and you become the scapegoat, if you've got that number one in place, it's gonna, it's still gonna hurt, but you'll survive. But I think it is important to make sure if you need an exit strategy, you're not scrambling. Um, and the third one is there's a line between gossip and and a wise counsel, but I would never recommend you go through it alone. And so I would figure out who can I go through this with without me crossing into gossip and making the situation worse. That's a that's a tender one, but those would be those would be the three. But man, Jeff, I mean, you and I have both been in these situations. I feel like you do the best you can, you still get a C minus. That's what it feels like to me. Yeah, I've been a staff staff member when uh, moral failure has happened, and the hardest the hardest thing for me, one of the hardest things, is kind of what you're talking about. And the third point is a lot of people want to know the whole story, and they want to know everything. And it would be so much easier as a staff member if I could just tell them, well, yeah, this is this happened with who, you know, and this goes back to this point. And at the time, I couldn't do that. And I just had to say, you know, you can only know so many things, you know, so, some things are, I just can't tell you. And that's hard because, you know, it's it's easy for people to want to know, but it comes down to who needs to know everything and who needs to know just some things. And as a staff member, that's a hard line to walk after a senior leader has messed up. It's. I think it's also really hard, for better or worse, it's still true in most churches that the energy revolves around the preacher, the lead pastor. And I, I've, you know, I've been a lead pastor and an associate pastor. 
And it's pretty sobering when you realize as an associate how little, like you're faithfully served and, and given and contributed, but at the end of the day, how much the board is trying to manage and protect the lead pastor. I don't know if you guys have had that situation, but I'm like, oh, wow, I'm kind of a expendable put like I've given years and sweat, but I'm actually expendable here. Um, the, the quicker, I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying it's common. So the quicker you can kind of recognize that too, I think the healthier, uh, you can be, that was pretty sobering for me when I was on staff at a mega church that I loved and gave my heart and soul to, to realize, oh man, I'm, I'll be out of here. And not many people remember I was here, you know? Yeah. I think, Chris and I both have had the opportunity to be kind of jettisoned based on based on the fact we weren't the we weren't the lead guy we weren't the preacher and we didn't we didn't do the thing but we we were the ones who left so that's a that's a that that's yep. a challenge one thing I love what you said Steve um it was just a light bulb moment for me I love where you said C minus is about the best we can hope for because I, I yeah. we we strategize and we try to figure it out we we wanted probably have used even used the term hey we want to get this right we want to get an a plus on this and if we could go into this type of situation going you know what a solid c or c minus is probably as good as we're going we're, we're going to get to a couple other things i want to hit um i wonder uh you, you might you mentioned being c minus a little bit earlier you mentioned you know a pastor just being a human rather than a you know on, on us so so you just launch the next iteration of, of your podcast, or it may be a completely different podcast. You've had an amazing podcast for several years, but you just launched Being Human uh, with Christianity Today. Could you just kind of give us a, a quick a quick look at what is, what's the focus of your podcast? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I had two, you know, my new ministry has two passions. One is to help leaders be human-sized. And I think you can change the world by being a human-sized leader with a supernatural God. But I think leaders feel this internal and external pressure to be superhuman. And then very similar to that, I'm trying to help followers of Jesus be human-sized followers. It sounds very similar. Um, because when we are, so, so what leaders tend to do is we tend to solve problems by being bigger than human. And when we're doing that, not to get clinical, but we kind of take up all the space where we're aware of God. And so we're no longer aware of God because we've taken up all of that space. And then a lot of people, uh, they get smaller than human. They diminish themselves or they are diminished by others. And now you're in self-survival and self-protection mode. Again, hard to relax into God's sovereignty when you're busy self-protecting. So to me, it all begins and ends with learning to notice when, you've, when you're overcompensating by being bigger than human, when you're protecting yourself by being smaller than human. So just learning to be human-sized. Obviously, I'm using my systems theory and and science of reactivity to help people with that. And yeah, CT's picked it up. It's been it's been wonderful. But that's my main work now is helping. I mean, I have a, as much as we're talking about leaders, you know, having these affairs. I have a lot of empathy for lead pastors and the pressure. I mean, having been one, no one really understands the pressure they're under. And at the same time, I have no uh, tolerance for excuses. Yeah. yeah, you know, like we we all make our decisions, and we and and now I think integrity is a number of tiny decisions every day. So, um, so I'm always trying to help a leader relax into being human sized. Yeah, 
I love that. I was with a, I was with a pastor of a, of a really fast-growing large church, and I was with his, him and his staff. And I love one thing he said. He said, you know what, gang? We're a two-talent church. We're not a five-talent church. He said, I'm a two-talent leader. On my best days, I'm three talents, but I'm a two-talent leader. So he said, we're not going to be one talent. That's not who we want to be. But if we're hitting solid at two talent, that's who we are. I thought, man, that is such a, for to me, a healthy, kind of healthy way to think about it. We're, we're, and I like your terminology really. I love it being human. I know you, I know we, we, we interrupted your, your afternoon with little to no warning. Um, and I know you're incredibly busy, but I, let me ask you one more question. And this one uh, could be a tough one, but um when we're looking at a, a leader, especially a, specifically a senior leader, senior pastor, the guy who does most of the preaching, the guy who leads the staff, he is in a uh, relationship that there's a, the power dynamic is, is often it's what we would call a moral failure or inappropriate or whatever, an affair, whatever we want to say, or maybe it's something, maybe it's another area, but an area that he has way off the track can can he come back and be the past, be a pastor? Can he come back and be a pastor at that church? Is there a path back in your, in your opinion, Steve? Yeah. I mean, I think the short answer is a solid, maybe. Um, I, I'm always, when I'm in these situations, I'm trying to, I'm, I treat it like scuba diving. So, and this would be like, you asked, what can the staff do? This is another thing the staff can do. If the pastor groomed a counseling client, like this is a situation I, I, I'm familiar with. It's a pastor 20 years older. The person was in, he was in his 40s, she was in her 20s. And in the context of a pastoral counseling relationship, he groomed it into a sexual relationship. That is pure and simple clergy abuse. It's not an affair. People say, well, she was an adult, she was consenting. Well, you just don't understand the dynamic, the dynamics of spiritual leadership. So, okay, to me, that's a catastrophic situation. That's a deep, in scuba diving, that's going deep. But if he's always trying to bring it to the surface and his board is always trying to bring it more like you're snorkeling, I'm like, you and until you understand what you have done, you can't return. And so even for staff watching, you can kind of do that. So I'm always trying to see if people will meet me at the depth of what they did. Like what I think is true repentance. I'm sorry to say that most of the public stories, that's not what happens, is the leader keeps trying to bring us up to the surface. And the reason uh, to maybe stretch my metaphor too far, we all get the bends because we he's brought us up too quick. We're like, no, no, this is a big problem. Oh, it's fine. You're, so the minimizing, I'm always looking for minimizing. Um, and I think if a leader is minimizing what they've done, it's not in their best interest. I mean, it's not good for anybody, but it's not good for that leader to get back in the spotlight and be a spiritual example because they've shortchanged, I think, the work of God. So my general answer is not for a long time and then sometimes yes. But I honestly, Jeff, I mean, I'm a bit discouraged. Most of those leaders that I've either talked to or I've read about, their brain is telling them the world needs you back speaking. And I'm like, no, it doesn't. Like none of us are such great speakers that the world need. There's plenty of amazing preachers out there that know how to keep their pants on. So let's let them preach. And why don't you go volunteer in a nursing home <clears throat> and play Scrabble with seniors? Like that's a genuine ministry. And yeah. so that would be 
as a general rule, but, but yes, some people probably can go back into ministry. Okay. Yeah, that's very helpful. I'll put you down as a solid, maybe. Um, <laughs> all right. I was just thinking that um, I can do the pants part, but uh, probably not the preaching part. Yeah, that's true. So I'm much better. Half and half, I've got half of that. I, I would say I'm much better at the, the, the part two than I am part B or part A. Uh, hey, Steve, we got to let you go, but we have to have one more answer. Chris and I are split. Uh, as we're recording this, the Super Bowl is coming up soon. I'm not going to tell you who's who, uh, but Chris and I are split on it. Who you got? 49ers or Chiefs, who's going to win the Super Bowl? I mean, as a Broncos fan, I love Patrick Mahomes. I love Travis Kelsey, and I'm a Swifty. And I want them to win just to annoy all the Theo bros that don't like Taylor Swift for no other reason. Okay, guys, you've picked a scab with me. In the last nine and a half hours of Chiefs on the television, Taylor Swift has been on the screen exactly 150 seconds. And people are losing their minds. So I think Kansas City Chiefs, just despite the people that don't like Taylor Swift. Okay. Well, we're gonna we're gonna take that vote, and one of us agrees with you, one of us disagrees, and we'll see who wins. Thanks, Steve. I know you got to run. Thank you so yeah, much. I thanks, appreciate Good it. All right. Yeah. I love talking to Steve. Um, obviously, he's completely off base about um, who's going to win the Super Bowl the whole T-Swift thing. Like, I love Steve, but let's face it, he's Australian. Like, I I mean, he lives in America, has lived here for decades, but he's Australian. Do we really care what he thinks about American football? I mean- We should have asked him about rugby. I mean, that's probably something he would know, yeah, or kangaroos exactly. or something okay. like that. Yeah, except for the fact he's a big football fan and brilliant. But, you know, so what do you think? What do you think about what Steve had to say about our uh, topic du jour? Uh, no, I really thought Steve had some some good things to say, and uh, especially when it uh, comes to uh, not getting it perfect, perfect, and that's that's always the the anxiety when I've been in that situation is we want to make it the, the you know the perfect way to respond to whatever the failure is, and everybody is going to be satisfied, and we're going to move on to be stronger. And when he said at best. C minus, man, that's relieving because in the times, and I've done it more than once, we've never hit an A, probably not a B, and hoping for that C is where you're going to land, and that's super helpful. Hey, as as we're talking to Steve, um, I actually, I, I put a lot of thought into this topic of uh, moral failure or, or inappropriate relationship or uh, clergy abuse, you know, the, the different labels that we put on it, having walked through this, as I said, and just put a lot of thought into this a couple of years ago wrote, and wrote an article and, and kind of said, hey, here's some things to think about before or when you're going through it. Some of the things I said, I said is what Steve said, make a plan in advance. I think that's a big deal. Like, I think you should think about this before you're in the heat of the fire. It's kind of like when you, uh, when you fly, uh, like, Sometimes I fly from saying or from Denver to Kansas City because my wife's family's in Kansas City. Every time I get on the plane, they go over the safety uh, regulations, including what happens if we have a water landing. Now I'm not sure where in Kansas we would have a water landing. There is no water in Kansas, but the point is they've thought about it in advance. They're not just. I mean, I'm sure when you fly to Hawaii you're hoping they've already thought through all the possibilities in advance and don't just try to write it on the fly. Is that true? 
Yeah, it's like the Southwest attendants sometimes say, um, we're not anticipating a, a, a drop of oxygen because if we did, we wouldn't have come to work. <laughs> That's the great way to put it. So I think you got to make a plan in advance. You got to discover the truth. Here's what I found, Chris, is very seldom when a leader is 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 caught or even comes forward, do they tell the whole story up front? And I, there's a lot of reasons for that. One of the reasons for it is sometimes I don't think they have faced the whole story. I don't think they even know the whole story. So I think you have to take the time to really discover the truth. And, and, and I think a lot of times you need outside help. Like you need somebody not in the story, not, 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 not involved at all, especially in, 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 you know, situations where, where it's abuse. And like Steve said, that's almost any time there's a power dynamic. I think you need, uh, to, to discover the truth. You, you mentioned before we talked to Steve, like how much truth do you tell? What I found is you need to tell as much truth as you possibly can as soon as you can. Everybody wants all the salacious details. That's not helpful. But the more you kind of, oh, I love the word obfuscate. Isn't that a great word? I, <laughs> my favorite bumper sticker ever was askew obfuscation. But <laughs> <laughs> The more you the more you use words to try to cover up what really happened, it just it's not helpful. So I think you tell yeah. as much of the truth as 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 you can. Um, I think you have to accept responsibility. I think Steve said that everybody has to accept my responsibility in this, and that's I don't think it's just the pastor, just the leader. I think the board, the the staff, we all have to accept our responsibility. Um, yeah, and I think. I think one of the big things is to balance grace and truth. I, I, mm. I know we got to go, but I want to hear your, your your feedback on this. When I've walked through this, I've heard the strangest definition of grace by really smart people. And their definition of grace basically sounds like you're a sinner, I'm a sinner, we're all sinners, we're all good, let's go back to playing church. That's I don't think that's grace at all. I don't think grace is get out of jail free card. Like, Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think Bonhoeffer, what he called it, cheap grace, um, where if you're not, I mean, there's responsibility that comes along with your actions. And we can see all through scripture, you know, David screwed up a lot. And a lot of people like to use David. Well, David was, you know, he, he was messed up, but he still, uh, you know, was a man after God's heart. He was, but he also paid the price for his sin. And it, sometimes it was with blood. And so, yes, there is redemption, there's grace, but there is also accountability and, uh, and payment for the things that, that we do, our actions. Yeah, I think it's super important to really understand what is grace, what is truth, and that we, we have both. And grace doesn't mean, Steve kind of said this, grace doesn't mean that you necessarily go back to the position you were in before. That may not be helpful for your the congregation, it also might be destructive to your own soul. Um, yeah, I mean, we talked about with uh, Steve that there is a void in all of us that especially want to be in front of people and want to get feedback from people on a regular basis, you know, as a musician, actor, or a, a preacher. And when we've lost that, that feedback loop that we live on, it's not healthy for a lot of people to, to go back to it because that may have led to whatever destroyed us in the first place. Yep. I had a, uh, I, I, when I went to, when I first went to college, I thought I was going to be a counselor. Uh, I found out I don't like people and it's not good for the counseling <laughs> profession. But one thing my counseling teacher taught us that I, I've never let go of, he said, 
you're in the worst possible position when you look at someone's situation and say, I would never do that. I could never do that. I would never fall to that temptation. And so 42 years years into ministry, I always remind myself when I hear about someone doing, you know, with with another, with, with someone who's not their spouse or something financially or some sort of addiction, I always remind myself, hey, I am one bad decision away from that. And I have that capability inside of me. And I find that that's helpful for me to not look down on, to not condemn, but to say, hey, you know, how can I help? How can I walk through this? Um, but yeah. for the grace of God, we all have that in our lives, but for the grace of God. Yep. Um, now, I don't think I'm going to go, uh, you know, murder somebody. I don't think I'm on the edge of that. But <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. You, seemed, you seemed a little irritated with the cat lady. Like you seemed like that could go really badly. Yeah, yeah, that, that could happen. So yeah. Yeah, we'll I, would, see. I would advise you just stay away. Just stay away from her. Hey, it's been fun. Thank you guys for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed hearing from our friend Steve. Let me just go back and say his new uh, podcast is uh, Being Human, and it's available everywhere. Podcasts are available. Hey, Chris, you know what else is available everywhere? Podcasts are available. Maybe the Surratt Brothers podcast. Surratt Brothers podcast. We're everywhere. Hey, thanks for uh, joining us. And like we always say, please follow, like, and comment. Chris, talk to you next week. 